Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. Happy Easter. And with me today, Kimberly Majeski. Hi, Jim. Happy Easter to you. And happy Easter to you as well. The Easter Sunday has come around, and I promise you, I've got a basket full of Cadbury chocolate <laughs> eggs with all that goo in the middle. I can't wait. Waiting for me. <laughs> I know you're a fan also. Not everybody is. Yes, I thought you were going to say you had a basket for me waiting. <laughs> oh, well, sorry. <laughs> when it comes to Easter, this is not a lesson about generosity. <laughs> okay, It's I a see. lesson about celebration. There you go. But I know that you'll find a few in mm-hmm. your house, too. But as we think about Easter, of course, there's so much more than all of the trappings of the celebration, the great music, the beautiful new clothes that some people will uh, get dolled up in for Mm -hmm. a Sunday going to church meeting time. Mm -hmm. There are, of course, all kinds of candies and and treats. (laughs) But the core of Easter, the heart of Easter, is the resurrection of Jesus. That's right. But even as people celebrate Easter and think about Jesus, they often imagine that he's some kind of ghost or Mm -hmm. this is a kind of spiritual narrative that doesn't have anything concrete. Right. And we're here at Viewpoint this Easter to emphasize that the New Testament record of the resurrection of Jesus is not just about some kind of metaphor, and it's right. not certainly about some kind of just spiritual return from the grave. We believe on the evidence of the New Testament that Jesus physically came back to life, yes. that a physical body was murdered on a cross, mangled on a cross, put in a tomb, dead and buried, and that in some mysterious, extraordinary way, he came back from the grave in a physical form that could be touched, that could be understood, that could be heard, that was fully sensory. Right. And we've been walking through some of those New Testament passages that emphasize this. There are many records of his appearance after the grave and before he returned to heaven, as it were. That's right. That's right. And today, one of the most compelling a passage from John's Gospel that talks about an appearance of Jesus where indisputably he's in a physical form, Mm -hmm. but perhaps even more importantly, he's in a form of restoration Mm -hmm. and hope and life. Stay with us. As you're listening to Viewpoint today, And as Kimberly and I are exploring some of the passages of this Easter story, I know that you might have a question, maybe a thought you want to share, a comment. We just want to encourage you to give us a call because we are on the phone 24 hours a day, seven days a week, a live person ready to hear your voice and to engage you and to hear whatever you want to share. Give us a call on this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. And we will be so glad to hear you on the other end of the line. We'll give you the number again at the end of the broadcast, but I wanted you to have it now because as we walk through the program, you may have a question right then. Kimberly, this story in John chapter 21 is one of the most vivid, I think, portraits ever painted. It's one of my favorites. It's a word picture, but great art has been inspired Mm -hmm. by it. And it's a story that comes from the post-Easter resurrection experiences of Jesus. He's in Galilee. Mm -hmm. And we can remember that when he first appears in the garden where he was buried, he tells Mary Magdalene, I want you to tell my other followers to meet me in Galilee or to go to a mountain or I'm I'm going to go meet them over there. And ultimately, they find themselves meeting up with Jesus in Galilee. They see him in Jerusalem too. Right. But he apparently moves around. He's not just limited to one little profile or one Mm -hmm. neighborhood. Mm -hmm. 
This story takes place on the seashore of Galilee, to which the disciples, some, have returned. Yeah. They're actually named. These are the people that are in the story. There's Jesus, of course, and then there's Simon Peter, mm-hmm. Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, and then two other disciples who are unnamed. But there are seven altogether who are going to be the eyewitnesses to this very dramatic scene. Without further ado, let's walk into it. This okay. is John chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. And can we read down to the 14th verse, and then I'll pick it up and walk it out. Sounds good. Later, Jesus appeared to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out on the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, Throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped it off for work, and jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. and There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Continuing with verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind him the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, What about him, Lord? Jesus replied, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So the rumor spread among the community of believers that this disciple would not die. But that is not what Jesus said at all. He only said, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. And we know that his account of these things is accurate. 
Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written.
Kimberly, you and I have both walked the seashore of Galilee. Yeah. We've taken sail across the lake. Mm-hmm. It's not like any other place on earth. No. It still is a window of a kind to heaven, and it's there where Jesus walked and talked. And here we have him after he was dead and then raised to life again. We see him once more by the seashore mm-hmm. with the fishermen. And notice how he's actually preparing breakfast. <laughs> In fact, he's going to have breakfast with them. I mean, first up, what do we know from this story about the resurrected Christ? He is in the flesh. <laughs> That's right. And that says to me that, well, my resurrected body may have some breakfast waiting for me. I don't know how it's all going to work, but there's something very material yeah. about the resurrected life with Christ. Yeah. I think this is a beautiful story. You know, I think back to those days on the Sea of Galilee, how untouched it all is, how unspoiled. You can smell fish everywhere and hear the birds and imagine Jesus walking and talking. And even as we read it here in this room, Jim, it um, kind of brings it to life. You know, we we rehearse these stories so much, sometimes they lose their uh, fervor for us. We think, you know, well, no big deal, Jesus in his resurrected body walking around the sea. Uh, but it is a big deal, and especially for these men who had seen him crucified and buried and uh, um, were experiencing this revelation of his new resurrected self. It is a big deal, and it's, it's stirring to kind of read it and think about being there that morning. And it tells us that this is the third time he's appeared, and yet it has not lost any of its wonder or awe. Mm-hmm. They're still dumbstruck yeah. by the reality that Jesus is alive. I'm not sure that we could ever really get used to it once we have seen death up close and personal. Mm -hmm. And they had. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's a truth for us also. Mm -hmm. There is something about the living Christ that should always inspire awe and wonder, Mm -hmm. even as it brings us blessing and peace and safety and provision. Here's another uh, truth. He's there to provide for them materially. He's in a physical form. They're physical, and he is providing for them physically. In all of that, though, there is a sense of amazement, and that is what Jesus always inspires. A a legitimate, authentic experience with Jesus should always leave us amazed. Mm. As he is helping them, they don't recognize him at first. And this is also a signature of many of the post-resurrection experiences. Mm -hmm. Not always, but often. Mm -hmm. He's not recognized. Mm -hmm. How is that so? And I think that's because the resurrection body may not have just the same look as the one we're used to seeing in our first itineration. I don't know for sure. I'm just speculating because we can't know at this stage. But it seems to me that if I'm going to be resurrected, I'm not sure I want to be resurrected into the body with which I walked out of this world. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, maybe there's a little step up. Maybe there's something better or it's formed a little differently. Mm -hmm. We already know that the body has a kind of transcendent material presence that overcomes physical obstacles and barriers. It operates in some way in a different plane of dimension. It somehow has to be different, even as it's very much the same. They don't recognize him. But at a moment of blessing, it's not just that they get physically closer to see him, but when they hear him speak and when they understand his ideas called out across to the boat, Mm -hmm. suddenly they know, that's Jesus. Mm -hmm. There's something about the way in which Jesus reaches out to us that we know that's not just anybody, that's Jesus, unique. It's his signature. Mm -hmm. He draws them to himself. Beautiful here. Uh, He's meeting their needs. 
They've had a long night on the sea. They didn't catch any fish. Fishermen need to catch fish if they're going to make any money. And uh, I don't know how, they never caught any fish if Jesus wasn't around. I don't know how they made a living. Uh, but um, they caught fish that morning, uh, so they have something in their nets, and then he feeds them. Rough couple days, and he just feeds them. And they received more than they could have dreamed mm-hmm. as they obeyed right. what he called them to do. Of course, they're out fishing at night because it was the custom in those days in that place to fish at night. The fish mm-hmm. tended to come closer to the surface in the cool of the evening than they would in the heat of the day. So nighttime fishing was the norm. But as day came, they had none, and then they had a plenty. Now, that's a part of the story, but there's also a very important yeah. dynamic here, and that is Jesus, having met them and provided for them, now is going to reach into their hearts once more, and Peter stands forward. Mm-hmm. And this intersection, this seemingly odd conversation where Jesus engages Peter, not once, not twice, but three times, yeah with the question, do you really love me, Mm -hmm. to the place that Peter is hurt, Mm -hmm. as if Jesus doesn't believe his replies, Mm -hmm. is actually an elegant restoration of a relationship. That's right. How so? Well, it's it's because Peter denies Jesus three times, right? So because Peter denies Jesus three times, Jesus gives him the opportunity to um, confess his love three times. It's gorgeous in the text. And the other thing that we know is that in ancient literature, anytime something is said three times... Boy, that's the way for them to write something in bold, catch this, remember this. So Jesus uh, and this story is showing us that um, Peter messed up badly, (laughs) and uh, he had a chance to to do better, and he didn't. And he just continued to do poorly, badly, and then he's given this restoration that is equally, your word, elaborate and lovely and elegant. in its way to draw him in and reaffirm what is true. He does love Jesus. And of course, the resurrected Christ, I think, already knows the answers to the questions he poses. But he asks the questions as a way of providing healing. Right, for Peter. To a man who surely was haunted by some guilt, Mm -hmm. who felt shadowed and maybe less than because he was the one who had been so bold and then so cowardly. Right. And... The Lord is rebuilding him, and this is such an important truth. The living Christ we celebrate at Easter is interested in building you up and calling the best out of you and restoring you to all that you can be and to more. He's not here to remind you of your failure Mm -hmm. or to forever dredge up all of the old stuff that causes you grief. That's not the Jesus Mm -hmm. who rose from the grave, and Peter learned that. Yeah, I think that when you hear those things sort of come into your spirit, someone accusing you or bringing up things from the past, ways that you fell short or messed up, I think that you can be certain that's not Jesus. That's coming from somewhere else. And the living Christ can speak life into you. And he does not just for Peter, but for all those who are present. And in this, though, there's another interesting piece. He demonstrates his sovereign will over those who follow him. And what he says in this conversation is that, Peter, I have a plan for you, and I've got a plan for John, too. Right. You don't have to worry about John. (laughs) Focus on my plan for you. Right. And my plan for John may be different than yours, Mm -hmm. but you'll have to trust me on this. I do all things well, and the sovereign will of Christ clothing his disciples Mm. always brings us to great outcomes. Mm. Peter's not going to have an easy road all the way. But, boy, he gets a great outcome. Hmm. John 
lives in a different way than Peter, lives longer, and so far as we know is not martyred in the way that Peter is. Mm -hmm. But he has his own challenges, and I'm sure there were days when John might have wished, I envy Peter Mm -hmm. for the way in which he's been able to run into the Lord's arms before me. Mm -hmm. But each person has a plan. Sure. The Lord who we celebrate this Easter has a plan for your life. As you're listening today, if you will just surrender into his arms, he has a plan for you uniquely that will bless and encourage and leave the world better because you walked in it. What we know is that Jesus did many things, so many things that the whole world could not contain them if they were written down in books. But some were saved that we might learn. And this is one of those stories. Mm This Easter, as you are celebrating this wonderful season of the year, as you might reach for a Cadbury egg or maybe a marshmallow peep, as you think about a church service, as you think about just having a dinner at home, whatever it is that causes you to celebrate Easter, don't forget this. Easter is the marking of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the giving of life and life eternal to all who will receive. John, who wrote this passage, said, that these things were written that we might believe, and that in believing, we would have eternal life. Life in Jesus' name. Imagine yourself on the seashore today. You're working hard. Life isn't working out the way you'd like it to be. You're doing the best you can. You're not sure what to do as the day breaks. It's dark, it's cold, damp, and you have nothing. And then imagine a voice calling to you saying, trust me, just trust me. It's the voice of Jesus. He's speaking to you now. Respond with us as we pray. Our Father, we're thankful that even the grave could not hold Jesus, that Jesus came into this world to show us exactly who you are and to make a way for us to be in your most excellent company, not just here now, but forever. We're thankful for the story of Jesus' resurrection, for the reality of his physical resurrection, for the promise of his physical return. We're thankful for this passage of John and for all that it teaches us about him. And today, Lord, as we are out in the boat or maybe shivering on the shoreline, I pray this Easter for all who join us in prayer, who wonder. We pray, Lord, that you will call them and bless them and reassure them that you live and that you have a sovereign will for them. We surrender our lives into your hands, Lord. We admit our fault and acknowledge that we are not good enough and that all of us have sinned. And we also acknowledge, Lord, by faith that Jesus has died in our stead covered our sin, and if we accept that by faith, he can make us new, he can provide for us, and he can call us into great adventure for the good. Lord, that's our prayer. Clothe us with this Easter truth, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. In prisoners' chains, with bleeding stripes. Yeah.
If you have a question, you'd like to know more about this Jesus or how you can be in right relationship to him, maybe you have a thought or just a comment to share, give us a call. 24 hours a day and seven days a week, dial this number 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. And Kimberly, if they prefer not to pick up the phone, but rather go online, where would they find us? You can always find us at cbhviewpoint.org. Send us a message and we'll respond. You can also see our back programs there and hear them online. Or if you prefer, just send me a letter. Use surface mail and address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you call us or go online or send us a note, please let us hear from you this Easter week. Kimberly, happy Easter to you. Happy Easter to you, Jim. Thanks so much for being with us today, as always. My privilege. And we thank you for tuning in to Viewpoint. We hope you'll join us again next week as we continue to work and to help you see your world from heaven's view. For all of us at the Viewpoint team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, this is Jim Lyon. Happy Easter. Happy Easter.